What if money wasn't the problem with money? I mean, what if our money problems were actually a feature of the system and that our worry about money and our feeling for about a lack of money were actually the biggest impediments to experiencing prosperity? This week's guest, Lynn Twist, has worked for her whole career looking at the soul of money and how it manifests in our lives. She is going to set the record straight on the lie that we've all been living and help us to find a future where we can actually thrive in our own life in regards to our finances. Burning desire, big ideas, bold action. Welcome to Boldly Now. This is Michael Sean Conaway. I am really excited to have a conversation with my friend Lynn Twist. We are going to talk today about money and finances and what it would take to have financial health. Uh, Lynn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I think of all the areas in life that that stumble us, that kind of get in the way of our satisfaction, happiness, fulfillment, you know, finances and money have to be one of the number one things that that we grapple with. You know, first of all, why is that? And and you know, what do you see or what have you seen in regards to that that may be a little bit universal as far as that's concerned? Well, I think there's a um, <clears throat> a little relief to know that there's a money culture that grips all of us. It's like the water we're swimming in. We've made money more important than human life, money more important than the natural world, money more important than God or spirit. And that's, we all know that's a lie. We know that's not true. And Buddha said the source of all suffering is a lie. And so we're swimming in lies about money that we all are complicit with. But it's not your personal rainstorm or my personal rainstorm. It's raining on everybody else, too. It's part of the condition in which we live, the commercialized, uh, kind of over-consumerized uh, money culture. And so that money culture has a toxicity in it because it makes promises that can never be fulfilled. And we've all bought into them. So there's a suffering and anxiety and upset uh, a kind of tragic relationship with money that even the wealthiest people I've worked with, billionaire families, are their their relationship with money is, you know, they have more of it, but they also have, it, it exacerbates and almost um, uh, expands the dysfunction that was there in the first place. So having more money is nice, but it doesn't solve everything. And we all kind of have bought into that will. Um, and that's a little bit of the, you know, it's kind of like the the craziness, the the insanity. Uh, but at the same time, money is an innocent part of life. We invented it to facilitate the sharing of goods and resources 4,500 years ago. It can be very, very useful, but our relationship with it is what's dysfunctional. Our, um, our the hopes and dreams we pinned on it that can never come true. Um, and it does ease life, make life easier and more pleasant to have uh, some financial resources that are, uh, that are beyond what probably people have right now. But at the same time, what we, the burden we put on that hope and dream is uh, is beyond what it'll ever deliver. So we're living in a sort of swimming in a culture that lies about money, and that creates a lot of suffering for us. Yeah, it occurs to me that um, that, that money as a scorekeeper is a pretty um, reductionist scorekeeper. You know, if I'm going to look at the value of my life, if I, if I attach that to dollars, um, I don't see how it could ever express, you know, who I am or, or how I am. But I think when you said, you said earlier that it, we made it more important than all these other things. And then if we actually reduce ourselves to the amount of dollars we have in a bank account, 
I think that's a that's kind of a soul crisis in a way that I mean it's it's painful to even just say that I am what my bank account says. Yeah, it's it's a very unfortunate thing that we equate success with if you say how's your daughter doing in her new job um, or how's your son doing after he went to business school or people say if they say they're successful. That means they're making a lot of money. We've reduced success, a, a successful, thriving life, which is what you guys work on, uh, to how much money do you make? And it totally, it's soul killing. Um, it, it's part of the picture. Yes, I'm not denying that. It's a very important part of the picture. But it isn't what we've made it to be. And, um, you know, this thing about Buddha saying this, the source of all suffering is a lie. We've we've turned ourselves from citizens which means he or she who's responsible for the well-being of the state, the well-being of the community, the well-being of the world. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful label for a human being. We've reduced ourselves to consumers, which means he or she who takes, depletes, diminishes, or destroys. We call ourselves consumers. We relate to each other as consumers. We're marketed to as consumers, not just by products, but by our political leaders. It's all about what we consume. Uh, and that's an ugly label for a human being. And it's devolved our relationship with ourselves. We live in a deficit relationship with ourselves. We always think we need more of everything. And the big lie we tell about money, which is kind of the central theme of, of what I talk about in my book, is um, the lie of scarcity. We actually live in a condition of thinking, and this is everybody, even the most brilliant conscious people in the world, because it's the cultural condition in which we swim. It's an unconscious, unexamined belief system that comes before discernment, before thinking, before attention. It's, it's a frame of reference from which we think is there's not enough to go around and somewhere, 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 someone is always going to be left out. There's not enough. It's not enough. There's not enough. It's not enough. That mentality creates behaviors that are inconsistent with our humanity. I call that the lie of scarcity. And we uh, we live in that trap. We all do. We, we live in that trap with, with time, too. There's not enough time. Of course, there's nothing but now, which lasts forever. Uh, but we have this mindset of scarcity. So we don't have enough sleep. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough sex. We don't have enough vacation. We don't have enough market share. We don't have enough volunteers. We don't have enough of anything. And so it's a mindset that is um, actually soul destroying, and it comes from the money culture. Yeah, we we traffic in that too. We that's you just described half the complaints that we're going to share with each other. Like we 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 talk about how we don't have enough of this without enough. We can't even meet with our friends uh, even in, in this time on, on on Zoom for a call or for anything because oh, I'm I'm too busy. And, and um, it it occurs like it's real. I mean, it really feels like it's real. Well, we make uh, it real also, you know, we, we, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you, if you tell your body, I didn't get enough sleep, then you will be tired. Um, you know, it's not like that there isn't some measure of, of hours of sleep that's healthy. I'm not saying that's not true. But the constant, there's not enough, it's not enough, there's not enough, we're not enough, there's not enough, it's not enough, starts to become a deficit relationship with oneself. And it starts to be, I am not enough, which ends up being the source of addiction and depression and, um, and, um, and opioid use and alcoholism. This I am not enough really directly derives from a culture 
that where there's a, a unconscious, it's unconscious, unexamined belief that there's not enough of anything. Now I'm, I'm, and there's not enough to go around and somebody's going to be left out. So your job is to accumulate way more than you need for you and yours to ensure that you and yours are not among those that are left out. If somebody's going to be left out, it's not going to be me. That mindset creates an us and a them. That mindset is a you or me mindset. That mindset doesn't foster relatedness, doesn't foster oneness or unity or spiritual thriving. It fosters take mine and I'll take care of my people. I'll help you someday when I have way more than I need, but not now. I, if I, even if I have to take at your expense, I'll do that because what you're supposed to do is end up with more than you need. That's the goal. And so that mindset is so devastatingly destroying not only us, but the natural world and our relationship with each other. So I call that the lie of scarcity. And I don't mean to say that there aren't people who don't have enough food. There are. I worked on hunger for half my life. Uh, I'm not meaning to say that there's people who need more opportunity. They do. But the unconscious, unexamined belief system that we swim in, no matter what the circumstances, even people of enormous wealth or people who have a job, is there's not enough. There's not enough. I've got to get more. I've got to get more. And that is toxic to our humanity. It seems that we, that, you know, there are those of us who are under survival pressures in, in the planet. And I know you worked on hunger um, and, and, you know, looking at how to get that mindset changed, just like dealing with not enough, like literally not enough. But then there's a lot of us, and especially the people who be listening to this conversation right now, who experience not enough when it's not the truth. It's, yes. it's not actually the, the, the life that they're living. It's not that this week they've gone without food two or three days. Yeah, um, right. They may not have gotten the special sushi dinner that they wanted or whatever that it is that, that, that makes you happy that you get to express that maybe money buys, but there, there isn't for many of us the physical, actual reality of, of scarcity. We, we, are not, we are not fighting for our survival, but we feel like we are. That's the crazy thing. Yeah what, yeah, what I'm really acknowledging is a mindset that's inappropriate for many, 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 many people to be living in. Some people obviously need a job right now. I mean, millions of people do. So I want to make sure that I don't step over the pandemic, the loss of life, the crash of the economy, the millions of businesses that have gone bust, the millions of people who can't make ends meet. I feel that. I talk to those people. I am for uh, making huge, huge changes in the way we operate this world in a way that everyone can make it with no one and nothing left out. That's really a phrase from Buckminster Fuller, with whom I studied, who taught me about sufficiency. And uh, Bucky lived a life, Buckminster Fuller, uh, dedicated to making the world work for everyone with no one and nothing left out. And when you stand there, the mindset of scarcity for people who are actually pretty well taken care of is, is it's, um, it's, um, it's, it doesn't have integrity. It doesn't have integrity. And we all are caught in that. I'm caught in it myself because it's the water we swim in. That's the thing that I want to make sure people know. It's not your fault 
It's the cultural condition in which we live. We were born into it. It'll probably be here when we pass away, but we don't need to buy into it the way we do. We don't need to have it run our life. We don't need to have it be the primary fear and pattern that has us behave inconsistent with our humanity, with one another and with ourselves. And so that's what I try to reveal is that there's, I call them the three toxic myths of scarcity. First, there's not enough. Uh, and that's this, there's not enough to go around and someone's always going to be left out and make sure it's not you and yours, whoever you consider that to be. So immediately you have to decide who are my people and who are the other people. That othering that, that takes place, I think, comes directly from the mindset of scarcity. Um, the second toxic myth in the mindset of scarcity is more is better, more, 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 more. We all, and I don't mean everybody who's listening, but I would imagine most of us have way, way more stuff than we need in our closets, in our basements, in the trunk of our car, and the kitchen cupboard, you know, some old soup cans from 1942. You know, we all have more stuff than we need. We're constantly sending stuff off to the goodwill or cleansing during this time at home. I think many, many people have, you know, been confronted with how much stuff they have. And then the third toxic myth is, that's just the way that it is. Mm -hmm. Now, that's just the way that it is. I'm sort of mocking it is a mindset that has you not question it, has you just go along, has you literally buy in, and has you be resigned that there's nothing I can do about it, so I'll just get more stuff. I'll order the next 10,000 things from Amazon so that there's a little package at my door every single day um, uh, during the pandemic, so I, I keep that consumer habit you know, running. Um, and we are very, um, you know, it's, 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 it's not your fault or my fault. We're trained, we're brainwashed to do that. It's, it's actually the cultural condition. It's a mindset. Now, sometimes you do need the thing you bought at Amazon. I'm not saying you shouldn't purchase anything, but the mindset that you have to have the next, the next, the next is an example. You know, one of the great examples I like to use is that one of the fastest growing industries in, in, in the history of the world, actually, but certainly in, in recent memory, is storage and waste. And when you think of what storage is and what waste is, storage, here's the deal. We, we have millions of homeless people. I mean, it's just, it's just heartbreaking and more than ever now because of the pandemic. But we're not building houses for them. We are building units of storage for our stuff. We're building houses on the outside of cities that house our stuff, big warehouses. You know, we're literally building stuff, building things for our stuff instead of for people. I mean, it's just, it's so, uh, it's such a kind of poster industry. And if you're in storage, forgive me, I, I, you know, I know everybody probably has a storage unit, but just think about it. Why do we need that? Why can't we just live with what we have? So <clears throat> I work to get people to see that that mindset is part of the fear, anxiety, and upset we have around money, which is, which is your original question. And you can free yourself from that. And we think the only way we can free ourselves from that is by having more money. That is part of the trap. More, more, more does not get you to true prosperity. It is helpful. But the mindset of scarcity, the mindset of more, the addiction to more, the 
unconscious, unexamined grasping for more will never give you peace of mind or peace and freedom in your relationship with money. What will give you peace and freedom in your relationship with money is what I call the radical surprising truth. And if I, um, if you let me, I'll go there next. But yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> we all want the truth. <laughs> so I call it the radical surprising truth. You know, people always, um, I always sort of, I don't think you can really say what the truth is, but um, you know, when you're being interviewed, you can, you can have a little permission. But right. what I'll say is for me, what I learned from Buckminster Fuller, the great Buckminster Fuller way back years and years and years ago was that there is enough. And it was like, what? There's enough? Bucky said in 1976, before many people on this call were born, that humanity's the direction of our innovation, our genius, our inventiveness, our science this was at, at 1976 to do more and more with less and less. And that was the direction of the human family. And in 1976, he declared with great confidence and great um, strength and uh, certainty, there is enough for everyone everywhere to have a healthy and productive life. And that will always be true because we are doing way more with way less. And that is the direction of our genius. Now, this is long before computers and phones and all these little baby things that produce all kinds of miracles for us. Um, and I remember when he said that, I was in um, person at a, uh, an event he spoke at. I had a kundalini thing go up my spine. I started to cry. My hands uh, perspired. I knew I'd heard something profound when he said, there's enough of every, there's enough for everyone everywhere to have a healthy and productive life. And that is the truth about life. And that will continue to be so. That is the design of the universe. It isn't the way we behave with the universe or our relationship with the universe, but it is the design, the intellectual integrity of the universe is that there is enough for everyone everywhere to have a healthy and productive life. And when he said the word enough, and then he said it again, and he used the word sufficiency, there are sufficient resources. We live in a world of sufficiency where there is enough for all of us to have a healthy and productive life. And then he said that means we have to shift from a you or me paradigm, either you, Michael, making it at my expense or I make it at your expense because there's not enough for both of us. And that's the way we relate to each other. You or me, that we can shift, he said, to a you and me paradigm, which is a completely different way of living where you and I can both make it at no one's expense. And that, he said, was the most fundamental and profound shift that would take place in history with human life. And then he said something really important. This will not, we will not realize this. We will not be able to embody this you and me paradigm <clears throat> for 50 years. He said that in 1976. Because he said all the institutions of humankind, the economy, business, education, governance, even religion, are rooted in a you or me understanding of the world. They're rooted there. That's their source. And those institutions, and he named many other institutions, the institutions we live inside of, would need to become, he said, will, will become so dysfunctional that we cannot fix them. We can't repair them. 
they will need to fall apart. They will begin to dissolve. And he said in 50 years, they will become so dysfunctional. That's right around now, if you do the math, that we can't fix them. We need to recreate them from a new paradigm, a you and me paradigm, a paradigm when you, where you and I can both make it at no one's expense. And as Gandhi said, there's enough for our need, but not for our greed. And so the radical surprising truth of sufficiency is if we let go, this is a principle, if we let go of trying to get more of what we don't really need, which is what we're brainwashed to want more of, it frees up oceans of energy all tied up in that chase to turn and pay attention to what we have. When we pay attention to what we have, when we nourish what we have, which is what you're teaching, when we make, uh, when we contribute what we have, when we love what we have, it expands before our very eyes. What we appreciate, appreciates. And that's how we thrive. That is the key to a healthy, productive, financially healthy life with peace and freedom with money. It's, it, it sounds like you can't do that with money, but yes, you can. And I see it every single day. So anyway, that's kind of the basic principle. Yeah, I just want to point out to everybody what a transformational uh, move this is, right? You're not saying go out and make six figures. If you get seven to be better. In fact, you're saying the opposite, actually. And, and we, there's a lot of research that says that you'll never, ever be satisfied with any amount of money if you're in a scarcity paradigm. Uh, some research uh, that we cite in our movie, We Rise Up, talks about you know, uh, uh, millionaires that were making, people had a, between 25 and $75 million of wealth were interviewed to say, did they feel financially secure? And uh, something like 90% of them said they did not feel financially secure with 25 to $75 million of wealth. Well, it doesn't have to do anything with the money is what you're saying. It has to do with the feeling of scarcity and that I might lose out. If it's not me and mine, it's my next generations or, or whatever it is. And oh my goodness, if the economy gets disrupted, what would happen to the money that I have? Maybe it'll all disappear. Maybe the, the security I have by making this pile of cash is not gonna protect me. And I think, I think what you're saying is that actually don't, we don't have to change the money, we have to change ourselves and our story about the money. And I can so see that. Our narrative is so tied to our identity is related to how much money we have. Like we call people poor, we call people rich. No, they're just human beings living in changing circumstances. You know, I learned a lot of what I, I share about from people I used to call poor, um, working for the Hunger Project. And, you know, when you get to know them, they are so courageous. They are so intelligent. They may not know how to read or write. I'm thinking of women in Africa now that I worked with in Ethiopia. But they are, they are so creative. They have to be to survive. Um, and, you know, they're whole and complete people living in poor circumstances. But they're not poor. Their circumstances are poor. And we start defining people by their financial circumstances. Then they have no humanity. We even define rich people by their financial circumstances. Then we can't relate to them as human beings. We put them on some sort of a pedestal and they can't, they, they can't even get out of their houses. They're surrounded by gates and darkened windows in their limousines and armed guards. And, you know, they're, they're so much the money rather than themselves that they lose their capacity to be human. And um, <clears throat> that's um, not everybody, of course. I work with some spectacular wealthy people who are brilliant philanthropists. 
But I'm just saying the you start thinking you are your trust fund, you are your salary, you are your bonus, you are your stock price. And then you lose your experience of your humanity. And yes, your stock price is important. Yes, your, your, your savings account is important. But it's not who you are. That's where we get confused. That's where we get confused. Right. And is, is, the, is the money or the scarcity what's a threat to who we are? And then is we, if we have enough or we, maybe we share on Facebook that we have enough by showing our new car off or ourselves on vacation or something like that, then when they were, we're portraying that, that we're wealthy, right? <laughs> we're, we're, we're demonstrating something that, that may be a lie to us even. I mean, uh, certainly we may not feel secure, but we're trying to signal to the world that that we're wealthy and secure. And it's all dancing around this lie. It was like, like we've set up this game. First of all, let's make a lie about what money means. And then let's play a game where we get to pretend that when we live the lie, everything's okay. Yeah. And uh, and it sounds insane, actually. And I, I just, I wanna just say, and let's, we may need to say this two or three times in this conversation, that what you're saying is if I can look to what I have and appreciate it, and, and understand uh, if I have enough to not have survival level issues that I'm privileged, that I have this incredible gift in my life, if I can live my life like I live with a gift, then money becomes uh, something you know, ennobling. But if I live with my life as money as a, uh, a scarce resource that I better grab as much as I can or I'm not gonna survive, then it's not a gift. It's a, it's a, it's a damaging virus in our, our selves and in our culture that's a that's an amazing thing um and I, I think we i think we could use some meditations around appreciation around money to, to help us to kind of reach to that as far as this notion of it being a world we're in uh, lynn this this world of scarcity or this world of i need there's not enough or this world of of uh, that's just the way it is you know how, if we can get right for ourselves and like I have sufficiency, I have this gift of appreciating the money that I have. Is there a larger narrative that we need to start speaking into the world with our friends, our families, our groups, so that 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 maybe we can start to ease the constriction of this lie? Is there something that we can start to do like a movement to have money not be this way anymore for us, this scarce resource? Um, well, there's so many ways to answer that question. Uh, one, just shows up is that our economic system is based in debt. Um, so every dollar that comes into existence is has interest attached. So there's always less money in circulation than there is owed. That's the nature of our system. It's It's based in debt and deficit. And that system has to grow or it'll collapse which is completely insane on a finite planet. As Greta Thunberg says, a fairy tale of infinite growth, growth sorry, on a finite planet, it's, it's just a fairy tale. So our system is, you know, is now, <laughs> I mean, here we are in the pandemic and we're, our debt, the, the national debt is, is it's, it's incomprehensible. Um, it's just incredible that we would be living with, we're the richest country in the world and we have the most unconfrontable deficit in the history of the world. And it's really now who we are. It's just who we are. Um, but it's the function of the system. The system really doesn't foster 
a, a, a relationship with money the way you and I are talking about now. It, it, it really forces us to behave in these strange ways, not be satisfied with what we have and think we've got to have more or we're not going to be okay. And every once in a while, you know, you have these moments where you where you see a new baby born or you're you're sitting by the, the water at sunset and you realize, you know, God, it's just an incredible, bountiful, amazing universe. It's it's just you feel an experience of overwhelming grace. You can have that experience every single day. Sufficiency is not actually an amount. I know it sounds like halfway between more than you need and excess and not enough and scarcity. Sufficiency is a way of seeing the world. It's a state of being. It's an experience of being in touch with who you are. It's an experience of profound gratefulness, which is the great fullness of life. Um, and it is a, it's available to us at every single moment. A wonderful teacher of mine is Brother David Stendelrost. He's a Benedictine monk. He has a, a website called gratefulness.org that I recommend. You can go there and do exercises and read uh, his words and um, interact with ways to be in touch with the great fullness of your own life, no matter what your circumstances. And that's available to you and I every moment. That's the radical truth about life. And when we are in that space of appreciation and great fullness, all we want to do is share. We want to give rather than take. We want to share, which is where you feel your prosperity. Prosperity isn't a function of accumulation. It's a function of sharing. Um, you know, we all ultimately, I think in our heart of hearts, we don't want to be known for what we accumulate. We want to be known for what we allocate to the world, the gifts we give to the world, the, um, the generosity that we were uh, able to, to share. And so that's the source of prosperity. Um, I cannot even remember. Oh, no, I know what I wanted to say. I was thinking I couldn't remember your question. Um, there's a, a new, uh, there's a whole raft of people working on new economic systems. I mean, it is the hottest thing on planet Earth, actually. What is an economic system that doesn't ravage and pillage the Earth and each other? What is an economic system that has everybody taken care of, but not people making trillions of dollars mm -hmm. to think that we're, we're about to have our first trillionaire? It just makes my, it just, it's, I, it's so wrong. No one is worth that amount of money. No one is worth billions of dollars. And the people who have that, they know it. They're horrified that they have that much money, really, in their heart of hearts, in their real heart of hearts. It's just not right. So new economic systems that don't foster that kind of accumulation include, and my favorite one is by Kate Raworth or Rayworth, um, and it's called Donut Economics. And it's a circular economic system that has no one fall through the middle of the donut, if you can imagine a donut. Uh, everybody live inside the donut, resources to flow, and no one, uh, none, uh, none of us, companies or governments or anything, going outside the outer rim of the donut, which is harmful to the natural world and the sustainable future of life and the next uh, generations. And that is um, an image that you can look up on the web, Donut Economics is one of the new economic systems that's not rooted in debt. It's rooted in sufficiency. It's rooted in there is enough. And that's what you want your life to be rooted in. There is enough. I am enough. I do enough. And, I, and out of that, I want to share and make a contribution. And I don't mean just a financial contribution, a contribution with everything I do. I want to leave this 
planet, the people I touch better than I found it. That's a prosperous life. That's a thriving life. That's what it means to be healthy. And everybody has access to that right now, no matter what. If you have $150,000 in credit card debt, you have access to that experience right now. And from that experience, you will handle your credit card debt rather than live inside of the fear of it. So, um, you know, I'm, I want to get practical for people because, you know, people do have credit card debt and people are scared that they're going to lose their house and people are not able to pay their rent. But you need to take care of your own beingness and realize the great fullness of your life, that you're alive, that you're relatively healthy, that you can breathe, that you have people that love you. And then from there, you have a, a much more stable foundation to begin to handle that credit card debt, credit card debt, begin to begin to find a way to make ends meet so you can pay your rent and not get evicted. So all of that depends on someone who's distinct from their financial circumstances rather than they are their financial circumstances. So that's some 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 of the stuff that I wanted to say. Yeah, no, not great. I just think I like to, to get distinguished that I can be grateful even though my circumstances aren't great. Yeah. Just like people can have great, great circumstances, lots and lots of money and, and actually have as much scarcity and pain as anybody else. That circumstances aren't the dictator there. It's your the way you see yourself and the way you see your sufficiency, as you said, and being grateful for that. It seems like the move is like from sufficiency and gratefulness, being allow, allowing that to be who we are regardless of those circumstances. And then you said, the next step to thriving is really contribution or giving or making a, you know, making a, a difference to people, uh, which leads us to the things we love to talk about the most is like being purposeful in life and living from a purpose of making an impact and being having a positive impact. And there really can't be enough of that. There, there could, like, like I could always do more, like I could always like enjoy more appreciation or enjoy more contribution. It, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a cosmic joke, right? More of the things we think we need give us give it this in this this, this scarcity world give us sickness or disease or lack of thriving, and more of the things that we want to give away and share leave us more thriving. That's like I say that seems kind of like a, a cosmic joke to me. Well, I'll, I'll give you a metaphor from Brother David that uh, uh, that I think expresses that. Um, that he says there's two branches of gratitude. One is gratefulness, and the other is thanksgiving. <clears throat> Gratefulness is the experience of life when the bowl of life is so full that it's uh, almost overflowing, but not quite, like kind of bowed at the top, but not dribbling over the edges, if you can imagine a bowl. And that's the experience of the great fullness of life. And that happens all the time to everybody, no matter what. But we want to recognize that and be in the great fullness of life. And when you're in touch with that, you're one with God, you're one with the universe. There is no other. It's all one. But it's so fulfilling that the bowl of life starts to overflow over here in this branch of gratitude. And that moves you over to the other branch of gratitude, which is called thanksgiving. And when you're in the branch of gratitude called thanksgiving, the bowl of life is overflowing out of your gratitude. And so all you want to do is give and serve and share and contribute. You have this overflowing life. And that actually is so exciting to discover, oh, there's an other, there's, there's people I can share this with. Oh, how wonderful. And that puts you back in the great fullness of life. And this is sufficiency and this is abundance, true abundance, 
True abundance comes from sufficiency, not from more. It comes from the recognition, the profound experience, the exquisite experience of knowing that your needs are met over and over and over again, and sometimes in ways that you didn't want, like a bankruptcy, like a divorce, like a pandemic. It may be that this pandemic is not happening to us, it's happening for us. It may be that climate change is not happening to us, it's happening for us. That this is all very, very powerful and accurate feedback that we have the privilege of receiving at this time in history so that we can course correct the human family from the soulless path we've been on for too long to the kind of life, the kind of way of being that's filled with gratefulness for the gift of life, sharing that gift with as many people as possible, and thriving just because we're alive. So um, your program and the work you do and giving people the, the permission to be bold about thriving, to choose thriving, to live in a way that exemplifies thriving is a contribution. Your show, your words, your movies, your work is a huge contribution, especially now, because we are not our circumstances. We are, one could say, the conversation we have about our circumstances, which is malleable. And we can control the conversation we have about our circumstances more than our circumstances. And the conversation we have about our circumstances and the conversations we participate in really define us almost more than anything. So to create, without being phony or Pollyanna, the narrative that empowers me, empowers you, and empowers everybody around me is a worthy way to live one's life and creates not only benefits for them, but that's the source of my own thriving then. So I, I love the way that you take almost every area of life and give people the, the keys, the levers and dials on how to have themselves thrive. And with money, uh, it's also just as you've probably talked about every other area, it depends a lot on what narrative you're willing to uh, create and what narrative you uh, share with others and the narrative you choose to be part of. And I say, be part of this kind of a program, and in fact, this program. Thank you, Lynn. First of all, I want to say that I, I, I'm I'm very grateful for your presence and, and the conversation that we've got to have over the years. Uh, it's been both instructive for me individually, personally, but also just allows me to have abundance and give your gift on. Uh, you know, I receive it and, and pass it on. That's, a, that's such an, a lovely feeling. So I'm both uh, grateful and thankful for you and your work that you do in the world. And I wanted to, I want to just kind of say this again. The start of this is changing the story you have about money from scarcity to sufficiency um, to recognize your gifts and be grateful of them. Then from that internal dialogue or internal conversation with yourself or maybe your partner, your family, how do you begin to have that conversation? Or you should think, how can I participate in a conversation about, about this sufficiency, about recognizing our gifts with a larger community? And then participating in something like you, you mentioned Kate Rowell's book, uh, Donut Economics, which by the way, I don't know if you heard, Lynn, uh, Amsterdam has declared that they're adopting Donut Economics as their, their new system in there. I'm be really happy to follow that and see how they express that. But then you can begin to participate in these new conversations called new ways to consider money for the world, which 
now isn't about, that's back in the thankful camp, right? I've figured it out for myself a little bit. I've figured it out in my community a bit. And now I want to change the conversation for everybody in the planet. That doesn't mean I'm going to run around and try to give everybody money. It, that's a scarcity model. It means that I'm going to change the way we see money and change the negative impacts to take, kind of take them off the table. Let's not destroy the planet and let's not have people fall through the center of the donut. I'm going to participate because look, all money is is a belief system. Uh, in fact, you know, some, some philosophers argue that it's actually now our religion or capitalism is now our religion. It's taken place of, of religious structures. But we can change that. We made all that up. We made debt up for that matter. We made all of this stuff up. And, and if enough of us tell a different story about the world, then that becomes true just as the, the past one is true. Right. I do want to make sure that I say for people who've lost their loved ones, who've been ill, who are scared to death of the pandemic, I've been there too. And I, I don't want to step over that. I want to acknowledge that uh, is part of this huge, huge, huge time we're living in. At the same time, it is a classroom. It is a life is really an opportunity to learn, to grow, to be strengthened, to find the, you know, the, the way through. And we all know that the growth spurts we've had in our own life have come from some very, very difficult uh, passages that we've got ourselves through. And now everybody's in this together. I mean, completely different levels, of course. The inequality is, is horrendous. And we are one biology, and there's no denying it now. So this is a really powerful teaching. And the indigenous peoples of the Amazon say to us, this, this virus comes from the mother, the earth. Everything does. It's not a punishment. It is a, an ally helping us course correct, rethink, reset the way we're living. And there's horrible consequences, yes, but they're not as bad as the consequences that will come if we don't shift our way of living, shift our direction. So it's a um, disruption, yes. It's also a very large teaching. And that narrative, I just want to leave people with. Yeah, thank you so much for that, Lynn. And thank you for, uh, you know, kind of giving us access to a completely different relationship with our, our money and giving us the, the, if you will, the challenge instead of trying to, quote unquote, improve your finances or improve your financial situation to improve our story about our, what we have in our life. And uh, it, it's not just a, a key to thriving in financial health, it's it's a key to all of our thrivings and all of the areas that we're talking about, and certainly um, changing that narrative for humanity is is a key to a thriving future for humanity. So thank you so much. Really appreciate this conversation. Thank you, Michael, and thanks to your team, and thank you, thank you for doing the great work you do. Okay, great. Bye, bye, Len. We'll talk soon again. Okay, bye, bye. Wow, this was so great. Uh, I'm really struck by almost everything Lynn said. <laughs> and really great, great questions, Michael, Sean. You know, one of the things that particularly struck me is what she said toward the beginning about there's a culture we live in about money. And I can see for myself how nuts I get about that. And, and, and that really mainly has a negative impact on thriving, as far as I could tell. Uh, and, and becoming aware of that and shifting the perspective does take something, you know, because it, we're so embedded in the culture of it. Um, the other thing that I particularly love is that prosperity lives in sharing. You know, that, that what we give, what we contribute, that's where prosperity lives. 
And really do hope you, you, you really engage in and take away some few, at least a few of the nuggets of what, what Lynn was talking about and put them into action in your life because that will upgrade our thriving. Because as I said before, you know, that's what we're about. You having a thriving life and that contributing to a thriving future for all of us, for all of humanity. Yeah, Doug, I, I, you know, as I was speaking to her, it was just so clear that, you know, beyond having enough money to survive, you know, uh, food, uh, shelter, good health care, those kinds of things, um, really, it's not about the money. Our financial health is really about the way we see what we have in our life. And I mean, that's great news for most of us, because most of us are not going to become billionaires and maybe even not even millionaires. So therefore, uh, does that, that, that you know, it, it equalizes financial health that you don't have to be uh, rich to have financial health. And in fact, I think what Lynn was saying is that even if you are rich, that doesn't mean you're gonna have financial health either. If you can't switch from, uh, what did she say, like more, I want more money, or it's never enough, or I'm never gonna have enough. Uh, if you can't switch that to from that to having um, a gratefulness for what you have and, and, and just acknowledging the sufficiency when you have it and when you have abundance, being able to give that away, that's a really different paradigm. And that paradigm is available to all of us. Obviously, if you're below the survival level, that's a different case. But you know, I think for most of us, we're surviving. We just don't feel like we're we're doing well. And I think a lot of this is that that is that external culture piece that 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 kind of external. Am I judging of myself? Am I competing? Am I doing well? Am I like? Does it look like I've, do I have a new car? Do I do I have all these things that would point to my wealth? But remember, I think, we, and we titled this very consciously, financial health, not, not wealth, because, you know, if you, no matter how much money you have, how much you earn, it still takes that change of perspective or that shift of perspective to actually have financial health. That's really, really important. If you're curious for yourself where you are in regards to financial health, we have created assess, an assessment on our app, the Boldly You app. Uh, and you can go take that assessment and just kind of get an idea of where you are. And even the questions that we ask in the assessment can lead you to deeper insights about your own financial health. So you can go and do that assessment on our app. It's available on your desktop or laptop, of course, uh, also iOS and Android for your phones. And you can get that app at bold.ly forward slash Y-O-U, boldly you. Um, and, uh, you know, get on there, uh, see how you, your assessment goes. And actually on the assessment, we'll give you some of the average scores. So you can see in our community, you know, like how are other people tracking? By the way, you know, this is week number five, but we have four assessments before this. You can go take all those assessments there free on the app to just see how you're, you're doing in the thriving and the other areas that we've dealt with thus far. So what's really important about your personal thriving is that if you can get to the point where, you know, you're thankful and then, and then you get to that thankfulness, like Lynn was talking about, the ability to contribute, we believe that the contributions you can make uh, to your purpose and your gifts are really what will set the stage for a thriving future for humanity. That's really our mission is to find uh, ways to up-level humanity in our, the ways that we think about things or the way that we see the world and then the actions we take such that, that a thriving future for humanity becomes a foregone conclusion. Um, and so like a thriving future for humanity, what would that look like and how would we even know that we were heading in the right direction? Well, it's, it's like this for me, and I, I don't know if anybody knows the, the science fiction writer William Gibson, but he said, the future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed. The future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed. 
So if that's the case, we should be able to find evidence for a thriving future for humanity today. Um, that's exactly what we're doing. We have launched a publication called Proof of the Thriving Future. And in that publication, we go out and find articles and stories about individuals and organizations that are doing things that will bring about thriving on the planet or doing things that have the conditions for thriving in them. And that the thing is, is that, you know, in our news world today, most of our news is negative news. Most of it is things that are, that are designed to get us concerned and worried and, and fearful because you know, the brain is always on the lookout for bad things. And, and you know, that is something that, that most news takes advantage of. The, the, the quote in classic journalism is, if it bleeds, leads, right? And good news, what is good news? Well, good news usually gets confined to the kind of news like somebody's dog walked across the country to sit at his door, at his hospital bed or something like that. You know, these kind of sentimental stories is what we call good news. Well, we think that there's a, a place for a different kind of good news. Good news that's scientific, that's uh, clearly vetted, that has a, a, um, a real kind of, of, of hard-hitting truthfulness to it, but that's not just to make you feel good, but it's actually evidence of a thriving, uh, of a thriving future. So that, that publication is called Proof of a Thriving Future. And you can go to uh, proofofathrivingfuture.com to sign up and get that, that uh, news into your inbox um, every week. Uh, we are also, you know, we're looking at articles and books and movies and things that will let you kind of get in on the secret, the cosmic joke that actually, while things could are bad in certain areas of our life, they're really, really good in other pockets. That future that we're looking towards is unevenly distributed. Uh, so please go check that out at proofofthethrivingfuture.com. That's it for our show today. Uh, be sure and go to uh, the, the assessment on the app, but uh, boldly you, B-O-L-D dot L-Y forward slash you. Uh, also, uh, like we said, proofofthethrivingfuture.com uh, is really a great place to go get access to information and resources that help you to understand where the future is going, what you part you can play in that. And then if you really are interested, we have a program called Do What You Love, Change the World. That's at doityoulovechangetheworld.com. Uh, we have a special uh, bonus discount for you here in the show. Uh, just look in the comments. Uh, use that uh, promo code and get $100 off that program if you'd like to uh, work on up-leveling your life so that you are doing what's most important to you, the things you most love, and doing that to bring about a thriving future for humanity. Uh, so that's it for today. Uh, thank you so much. We really enjoyed having you, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. The Boldly Now Show, igniting the world of burning desire, big ideas, and bold action. Be sure to download Boldly You in the App Store, Google Play, or online at bold.ly forward slash Y-O-U. Boldly You is an app and learning platform igniting your burning desire, big ideas, and bold action, generating a future for a thriving humanity. Boldly Now is an initiative of the Generative Futures Initiative, generating a thriving future for humanity. Learn more at generativefuturesinitiative.com.